If you have a Bible here this evening, turn with me to the Gospel of John. Let's go to chapter 18 and chapter 19. Leave a marker there. And I want you to go back to John chapter 12. I want to just kind of take you real quick. We've been looking at this topic, preparing for the resurrection on Sunday morning. And we always begin uh, Wednesday, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before. And so we began in John chapter 12, and we spoke about Mary and Martha as they were there uh, at Simon the leper's house. And there was a, a celebration, a dinner, and it was for Jesus, but also remember Lazarus had risen from the dead. Mary uh, took an uh, alabaster box. It was a very expensive ointment that she had occurred probably for a lifetime maybe. I want you to think of a spikenard ointment. It's very uh, aromatic. It's a beautiful, beautiful aroma. And it was usually used in special occasion and addressing the bodies and such like that of your loved ones. When it was time for burial, she took a pound of that. She broke the alabaster box and she washed Jesus' feet. And then she took her hair and she dried it. She was preparing Jesus for his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then we came back on Sunday morning and we continued in the Gospel of John chapter 12. And we looked at the triumphal entry. And we brought forth in the triumphal entry Zechariah 9.9. The exact prophecy that was fulfilled that Zechariah prophesied 500 years before. And as Jesus came in uh, to Jerusalem, riding on a donkey's colt that had never been ridden before. And it was just a blessing. And, and they heralded him. And they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, a son of David, saved now. They took off their coats. They, they took off their garments. They cast them on the floor. And then they took palm branches that spoke of victory. But these same people, less than a week later, are going to be screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. And then we came back this past Wednesday, and we looked at John chapter 13. And then Jesus does the complete opposite in which Mary did. Mary bathed his feet with ointment, preparing him for death. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. It was a, a job, it was a ministry of a slave. The lowest servant in the house would bathe your feet. You see, they all had open sandals, no stockings. And so everywhere you went, uh, your feet just gathered everything. So when you came into a household, as you come into my house or your house, and, and you know, you offer water, you offer a coffee or a soda or tea, something, and sit down right here, you know? Well, when somebody came into your home in the time of the Middle East, uh, you washed his feet or her feet. And then you anointed their head with oil. You blessed them. And Jesus was not supposed to do this. They were supposed to do it to him. Somebody else was supposed to stand up and to wash the feet. It was the job of the servant. But Jesus showed us the example of being a servant. And so now we come to John chapter 18 and 19. And we're going to see the betrayal and then the trial, which was a mock trial, and the crucifixion. And all of this is in preparation for Sunday morning, the empty tomb. And so I just wanted to look at uh, John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, the betrayal and arrest in Gethsemane. And again, I've often shared this when we're going through the Gospel of John. And this Passion Week, this Holy Week. You get differences from all four Gospels. Some add more, some leave out. But the differences in the stories, which are all the same. But, so sometimes we have to draw from the other Gospels to get the full effect. And so John the Beloved is 
is teaching here. Let's begin here in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. I want to show you something here very important. This little brook was nothing. Very insignificant. And I want you to think of a brook. It's not a, it's not a river, so uh, you could probably walk right over it. Or there would probably be areas where they would have put a board. It's just a small little brook. But in the temple, they would make the sacrifices of the lambs. And as the priests were doing the sacrifices, they would take basins of water and had to wash off all the blood and all the guts and such. And it would empty out into these processes that would eventually go outside the temple into the brook of the Kidron. Jesus, as he's crossing this brook, and he's probably crossed it before, he knows now that he is going to be that sacrificial lamb. And I want you to see that that has to be uh, in his mind. And so Jesus often would go to this garden area called Gethsemane. And he would spend time in prayer. Gethsemane in the Greek is the wine press. But the grapes were not what was going to be pressed out. It was Jesus that was going to be pressed out. And his blood uh, would end up there at Calvary. And the flogging itself almost took his life. But every drop that was shed was for you, was for me, was for all mankind the last 2,000 years. Notice verse 2, and Judas who betrayed him also knew the place, speaking of Gethsemane, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment, the King James says a band of troops, and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, they came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. I want you to see, the, these are temple guards. These were those that were part of the Sanhedrin. They were hired. These were not necessarily the Roman guards. And so we don't know if this was a, a Roman band number. But there could be anywhere, listen to this, from 150 men to 200, could be 300, could even be up to 600 men. Let's just give it the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I like to say at least 200 men came, but I want you to see that 200 men came for one man. What did they fear? They're looking for this Jesus of Nazareth. In verse 4, Jesus therefore knowing all things, he is God, that would come upon him, went forward and he said to them, whom are you seeking? I believe he said it with a commanding voice. And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, and listen to the I am statement that we pick up back in Exodus chapter 3. Jesus says, I am he. And I believe it was a commanding voice. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back. And they fell to the ground. That's why I say it was a commanding voice. Jesus said it with authority. He's a meek lamb that's getting ready to go to the slaughter. But when he said this, they fell back. These are all non-believers. Be careful with those that tell you, oh, look, they were slain in the spirit. No. The power of God spoke to them. I am he. He's using the I am statement. When Moses was in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush, when all of the, the, the speaking to Moses from God was given, uh, he's getting ready to go down to the people. And he says, who should I tell them sent me? He says, tell them I am that I am sent you. And so the word I am is a very powerful word here. It's the title of the eternal name of God. I am that I am the becoming one. And this is the place that Jesus takes because he is God. In verse 7, uh, then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, lest they go their way. 
this is so beautiful when you begin to see it. He was not afraid. He's already prayed up. He spent time with the Lord. We know, especially in Matthew's gospel, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays three times. Let this cup of death pass, but if not, let not my will be done, but your will. Jesus came to fulfill the will of the Father. In Luke's gospel, it said that the torment of knowing that he's going to go to the cross, when Jesus prayed, that's why it's called the agony in the garden, from his pores came drops of blood. Medically speaking, that can happen to an individual. Now, I've prayed for years. I know some of you prayed for years, and I, I have to say, and I, I believe you would say the same thing, I have never bled from my pores. But Jesus was in anguish. Jesus was in agony. He gave it all. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at verse 9 now. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. The reference here is to John 17, verse 12, the high priestly prayer. Go back and study that. In verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. I want you to remember that name because I believe one day we will see Malchus in heaven. Peter, always doing the wrong things, and I shared this on Wednesday. Don't get down on Peter because you'll see yourself in Peter's sandals. On Wednesday, Jesus was washing feet. Most likely, Peter was the last one. And he said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then he goes the opposite to the extreme. Uh, don't just wash my feet, then give me a bath. Peter always getting in trouble. I identify with Peter. I know you identify with Peter. And so here's Peter trying to protect Jesus. He pulls out the sword, and he goes after Malchus. He's just a servant. I believe he went for a headshot. But he got an ear. Another gospel says that Jesus bent over and picked up the ear in front of everybody. And he put it back. He put it back. And I believe no more pain. But for that moment, what did Malchus go through? That's why I believe we will see him in heaven. And don't go up to Malchus when you get to heaven and say, let me see the back of your ear, man. I want to see the stitches. There's going to be no stitches. Jesus healed him. And so then look at verse 11, the conclusion. This is as far as I want to go in verse 18. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away into the sheath. He says, shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. You don't know what you're doing, Peter. I don't need your help right now. And by the way, we're going to look at the portion that Peter had denied the Lord three times. John really doesn't go into it that much, but we know that he denies the Lord three times. And what we shared Wednesday, these guys didn't understand everything until after the book of Acts in chapter 2, and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were never the same. I want you to think, before you came to Saving Grace, you heard about the born-again experience. You heard about possibly speaking in tongues. You heard about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You heard about changed lives, and, and then you, you were kind of baffled. I, I don't understand, Lord. What are they talking about? Because I went through that for three and a half years. But once I came to Saving Grace, the light bulb goes on. The power of God's Spirit came on, and he's never left. And what were mysteries to me were revealed now by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And even now when I don't understand things, uh, I just kind of put them aside. It's sometimes it's a week later. Sometimes it's a month later. Sometimes it's years later. And the Holy Spirit teaches you again. This is what I meant. And so the Holy Spirit's there to teach us. Now, as you continue in John chapter 18... Jesus is going to be brought before the high priest Annas, not Caiaphas. Then Peter denies the Lord for the first time. And then Jesus is questioned by the high priest, which was Caiaphas. But Annas went 
they took him to Annas first. Annas was the father-in-law. He ran the show. You see, the family were always the high priest, and it was for filthy lucre. That's what the money changers were all about. And even though Caiaphas, the son-in-law, was the high priest at this time, Annas still ran the show. He was kind of the one dangling uh, the puppet strings. And so then Peter denies the Lord the second time, or the third time, and so two more times. Jesus had predicted, Peter, you will deny me three times, and then the rooster's going to crow. And Peter says, no way, Lord. In the book of Matthew, it exactly happened like that. And the Bible says that Peter went out and he cursed because Jesus predicted, prophesied that it would take place. Jesus is sent uh, to Pilate, the governor of Judea. And it basically, with the religious sect, it was a kangaroo court. They broke all the laws. And then they go, he goes to, uh, you know, Pilate, the governor, and he's trying to get rid of Jesus. But he can't. He can't. Pilate tries to release to them Jesus, but the people cry out, give us Barabbas, a murderer and a thief. And so you pick that up from John chapter 18 through uh, verses 28 through 38. Jesus comes before Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Now let's go to chapter 19. And I want to just really spend some time here, but I want to get through the chapter. The caption of my Bible begins here, the soldiers mock Jesus. This is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So then Pilate took Jesus and had him scourged. And I, this is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53. We know that they would scourge for 40 stripes. And uh, basically they would save one. It was called mercy. And they would give him 39 stripes. Generally... Generally, you died at the scourging. And I want you to see the picture of the scourging. They would take the criminal and take off all his clothing. They would strap him up and they would pull him tight. Literally, he would be on his tiptoes. They would take a cat of nine tails. You've all seen pictures of it. And there would be pieces of stone and, and possibly iron, whatever it might be. And then they would whip. The whole purpose was for punishment, yes. But they were trying to extract a confession. And so they would punish you from basically the upper back, the middle back, the lower back, the buttocks, and then the legs. And they would open you up. And when they would pull back the cat of nine tail, it would rip and be pieces of meat. Because I say this in Isaiah 53, uh, Isaiah says he was unrecognizable. His body was marred. If you look at it in the Hebrew, you, he was disfigured. The same Jesus that they knew could not recognize him. And all of this, he does it for you and he does it for me. Now, I ask the question, they're whipping him. Confess your, 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 your crime. Jesus had no crime. And they kept whipping him. Usually, you died at the scourging. In verse 2, and the soldiers twisted, now listen to this, a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. <coughs> Excuse me. And they put it, a, a purple robe on him. Now, this is interesting. The purple robe speaks of royalty because, uh, so you're a king. They, they make this makeshift crown. Uh, the Palestinian uh, area had these type of thorns. It was a special thorn bush anywhere. Uh, the thorns themselves could be anywhere between three to four inches long. Very thick and then very pointed. And, and it was pliable and so they would, you know, bend it easily. And they made this mock crown. And we know that they placed it on Jesus and he's beaten already. They put this cloak on him. And then they, would they took a reed in another gospel and they hit him in the head. 
And they pushed it down and it had to go into the capillaries and the blood just had to explode. He did this for you and I. They're mocking him now. Notice in verse 3, and then they said, Hail, king of the Jews, and they struck him uh, with their hand. Now, was this an open hand? Because some of the other gospels say they, they hit him with a fist. In Luke chapter 22, he was blindfolded, and then they beat him, and they said, You be the son of God, tell us who hit you. Total mockery. Slapping him, spitting on him. All of this he did for you and for me and for all mankind. In verse 4, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Again, we're not spending much time uh, on Pilate's authority. But Pilate didn't want anything to do with Jesus. In fact, Claudia, his wife, had given him a note in one of the other Gospels, had nothing to do with this just man. I had a dream about him. Historically, we know that Claudia uh, was a Christian or she became a Christian. And then we're told, historically, many believe that Pilate, after the whole ordeal, possibly committed suicide. I, I can't prove that. But he couldn't handle it. He's trying to please Rome. He's trying to please the Jews. He's trying to please the religious sect. And then, guys, you know this, he's trying to please his wife. Nothing was working for Pilate. And then, in verse 5, the caption of my Bible says, Pilate's a decision. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold the man, mocking him. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. In fact, one of the other gospels, he washed his hands of, of this whole ordeal. It's in your hands. He didn't want to put Jesus to the cross. And here's these people that a week before, or at least six, seven days, eight, four or five days, I don't know how many days prior, they were the ones at the triumphal entry. Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, saved now, and now crucify him. And it doesn't take much to incite a crowd. And everybody else followed suit. Yeah, give us Barabbas. Crucify this man. Jesus. And then the, the Jewish religious leaders, look at this. In verse 7, the Jews answered, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself uh, the son of God. They asked him, and he told them, I am the son of God. You say that I am. He never denied it, but when it was his time it's interesting, we have a law, but they broke all the laws and, and the kangaroo court and the mockery of the law. But yet when the law comes for their privilege, we have a law. We have a law. Uh, it's just like us, you know. I, I, officer, I didn't roll that stop sign. But then you see somebody you know, I saw you. I saw Jim. I was right behind him. He rolled that stop sign. Oh, you forget the officer gave you a break, huh? We're just like that. We, we, we suit the law for ourselves. He tried so bad, Pilate did, to rid himself of this menace. He wanted to wash his hands of the whole ordeal, but he couldn't. In verse 8, therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was uh, the more afraid. Listen to that. He was troubled. Again, listen, man, my wife told me, no, don't do this. Ah, but what about my job? I'm, I'm the governor of Judea. Uh, Rome's not going to like this. I better take care of this insurrection that's happening here. And oftentimes the, those that were in charge would get the, uh, the worst out of it. And so Pilate knew this. Notice verse 9, and went again into the praetorium, and they said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. I like that because he's fulfilling more scripture. 
The scriptures told us in the prophecy that he would be like the lamb before his shears and he would say nothing. When it was time for him to speak, he spoke. But when it was time for him to go to the cross, he went to the cross. And I think sometimes we need to take heed to that. The Bible says uh, sometimes we need to not speak and listen. And I think we sometimes go the other way. Notice now, in verse 10, and I want you to mark this down. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? I am the governor of Judea. Do you know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? He doesn't have any power. Because notice the next verse. Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Mark that down. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Who turned him in? Judas Iscariot. So many times we worry, how much longer do I have to live, Lord? Lord, I'm getting up there. Lord, I'm always sick. Lord, uh, how about this job? How long am I going to have it? We, 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 we worry. I don't care who you are. I don't have this gray hair for nothing. We're, we're just worry warts, I'm telling you. You know that nothing can happen to you, nothing can happen to me, listen to this, unless it first filters through God's hands. You know when somebody attacks you, somebody chides you, somebody talks about you, and then you go, Lord, look what they're doing. Nothing can happen to you without God knowing. Listen, I've been in ministry long enough. I've been attacked by the best. And, you know, sometimes my family will say, aren't you going to respond? I'm not going to respond. Let Jesus respond. Let God respond. You know, there's an old saying that we used to say back in, in the Jesus movement. You can talk about me all that you please, but I will talk about you when I'm on my knees. Very important. Very important. Don't you know that I have the power uh, to release you? Jesus says, you don't have any power. Notice that he hadn't spoke, but then he spoke up now. I like that. In verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Now they're bringing, uh, you know, the, the Caesar card into it. Whosoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. You know, this is ridiculous because these religious sect. These Jews, they didn't like Rome, and they didn't like Caesar, but now they want to play it. You know, we will always have that, I don't want to use the word Trump because some of you will get mad, but we have that, we have that card, and you know, get out, of, get out of jail free, right? You cannot go against God. You cannot go against God. Look at verse 13 now. When Pilate therefore heard, <coughs> excuse me, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and he sat him down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the raised place. It was a little higher pavement where they would possibly put you for the, the judgment seat and, and you would be on trial in a sense here. Notice now. And again, uh, they're trying to do everything uh, in their power. In verse 14, now it was a preparation day. Remember, they're close. Uh, the Passover, they, they cannot have a dead body around. The Jews, again, keeping up with the law. It was the preparation day of the, of the Passover, about the sixth hour, noontime, and, and, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Behold your king. And yet Jesus is the complete sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. That's why when he crossed the, the brook Kidron, it would be his blood not the sacrifices of the animals. 
That's what the whole book of Hebrews is all about. Jesus is our last and complete sacrifice, and Jesus is the last high priest. And yet so many have not seen it. Notice again. Behold your king. <laughs> and they cried out. Verse 15, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Mockery. And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. How quick, how quick. Again, they want to use the Caesar card. Then he delivered him to, uh, to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and they led him away. <coughs> If you can read into this and get the other gospel flavors, you can see the frustration of Pilate. He tried so much to rid himself of this Jesus of Nazareth, but it wouldn't happen. Wants to please his wife, wants to please the Jews, wants to please the Romans, wants to keep his job. I mean, what is Pilate going through? This is why a lot of people believe that he committed suicide. Imagine having that authority and that power. I tell you, there's a lot of judges today. They make a lot of rules. They're going to have to stand before their judge one day. We have a lot of lawyers. And God bless those lawyers that are Christian. They're going to have to stand before their judge one day. I mean, it's a vicious circle, isn't it? And so now we come to verse 17, and I love the caption in my Bible, the king on a cross. And verse 17, and he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Now, again, we don't get all of it here. But we know in another gospel when Jesus is carrying the cross and most likely it was a beam. It was the cross beam because the crosses would have weighed quite a bit. And they probably would have attached the, the cross beam on top of the pole. And it had to weigh, weigh at least 60 pounds, that portion. The whole cross, they said, uh, some of those crosses, uh, they weighed 100 to 150 pounds, even more. But remember there was a, a, a black man by the name of Simon of Cyrene? He was from this area of Africa. And when Jesus kept falling, kept falling, they just reached over and said, you, come over here. And Roman soldier told you something, you had to obey. I, I believe that Simon of Cyrene was a big man. I believe we'll see him in heaven too. He took this portion of the cross that Jesus had and he put it on his shoulders. And the blood of Christ is all over this man now. The blood that cleanses us, washes us afresh and anew. And now, in verse 18, where they crucified him and two others with him, these two other male factors, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now, Pilate wrote, listen to this, a title, and he put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Oh, radical statement here. I think Pilate did this to come against the Jews because they wanted to crucify Jesus. Whereas Pilate, thinking in his heart, maybe he is this king that they're talking about. But notice that the Jews get angry in verse 20. Then many of the Jews uh, read the title uh, from the place where Jesus uh, was crucified, was near the city, and it was written in the Hebrew and the Greek and in the Latin, the languages generally that were spoken at the time. And they didn't like that statement at all. Therefore the chief priest and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write uh, the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. They wanted Pilate to change it. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Finally, Pilate does something right. What I have written, I have written. In verse 23, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, watch what they did. They took garments 
his garments and they made four parts of the garments to, to each soldier and, and a part and also the tunic. Uh, now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top uh, in one piece. This would have been a, a, a costly garment. Now, even though, listen to me, it, it was bloodied, it was stained, but these guys didn't care. They were animals, and that's the way they lived. And so they'll just get that outer garment that it's seamless, it's expensive, have it cleaned up, dyed, or whatever it might be. But I want you to see here, the fulfillment of Scripture, a lot of Scripture has been fulfilled in verse 24, and then therefore... They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, because it's seamless, but cast lots for it. They all wanted it. They split up all of Jesus' garments to four different piles, but now this garment, everybody wants it. He says, let's cast lots, see who it will be. That the scripture might be fulfilled, listen to what John writes, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots, and therefore... The soldiers did these things. Psalm 22, verse 18, specifically. I love the Old Testament, and I love the passages of the Messiah. I was doing some background search. Anywhere between 350, listen, 350 to 400 prophecies in Jesus, 33 and a half years, and basically the last three and a half years, were fulfilled. Were fulfilled. There's more prophecies to fulfill that'll be in his second coming. And yet people still don't believe. What, those of you that are math majors, uh, try to figure that one out. Give it the benefit of the doubt. Give it 400. And then calculate it. Three and a half years, what's the potential there? It's got to be incredible, incredible. And Jesus fulfills them all. Now, we come to this next section. In verse 25, behold your mother. That's what the caption of my Bible says. Remember, John is writing here. There was this intimacy between Jesus and John the Beloved. We know that Joseph, Mary's husband, was older man. Most likely, he's passed away by now. Mary's alone. Jesus is going to give Mary to John and John to Mary. Beautiful, beautiful picture. In verse 25, now, there stood by the cross Jesus, uh, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene, and we'll go see her on Sunday morning. In verse 26, and when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple uh, whom he loved standing by, this is John, and he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. He's pointing to John. The reference is to John. In verse 27, then he said to the disciple, speaking of John, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her uh, to his own home. John lived the longest. And so John took care of uh, Jesus' mom. I love that. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And now we come to this next section. Uh, I love, it's, it, if the caption of my Bible says, it is finished. Very prophetic words here. Excuse me. It is complete. In verse 28, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. He's done. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. He's done. And he said, I thirst. I thirst. And we know that they take a, a vessel here. They take this sour wine. Some type of vinegar. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and that would have been the branch of the hyssop. Probably made a, a point out of it and then stuck it, and then they put it up to his mouth. It was a, considered a type of sedative. Now if you're taking notes in Psalm 69, verse 21, was the fulfillment of this particular scripture. And that he thirsted, and they gave him uh, this sour wine, this 
sedative for him. Notice in verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, listen, he said, and I want you to underline this, it is finished. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the ghost. The Greek word is tetelestai. And the Greek is saying here, when it is finished, the debt has been paid in full. There's nothing that you and I can do to get to heaven but to believe in Christ. You cannot give tons of money. You cannot pray all your life. You cannot read the Bible back and forth. You cannot go to the mission field. You can do all those things. But until you receive Christ, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if there be no resurrection, we would all be men and women most miserable. The cross sets us free. The blood of Christ saves us. It is finished. Tetelestai. A beautiful statement here. Uh, Jesus side is pierced now. That's what the caption in my Bible says. Look at verse 31. Therefore, because uh, it was the preparation day, excuse me, this cold is killing me. It was the preparation day uh, that the bodies should not remain in the cross on the Sabbath. For that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate, uh, that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Now, if you're taking notes in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, uh, they had to take down a dead body. They didn't want it up there. And if Jesus wasn't dead, he was going to be dying in, in the time of the Sabbath, and they didn't want that. And so they would come and they would break the legs. They would put you uh, in a in this little platform, and in order to breathe, you have to step up. But by breaking your legs, you would break, and the diaphragm would close, and you would die. They did not break Jesus' legs, that is. And there's a scripture that I'm going to read right now. Notice now in verse 34, verse 33, They broke the legs of the other guys in verse 33. But then they came to Jesus and they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs, but uh, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And immediately, listen to this, blood and water came out. Medically speaking, he died of a ruptured heart or he died of a broken heart. In verse 35, and he who has seen has testified. This is John. And his testimony is true. I like that. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. John's the writer. John is the eyewitness. You see, I give you the, the passages here uh, Sundays and Wednesdays and any time I share the scriptures. You read the passages. This book was written, painstakingly written. The devil has tried to destroy it. But we have the word of God. And you tell me, when somebody comes to Christ, it's a drug addict, an alcoholic, a whoremonger, a murderer, a raper, name the sin. Why is it that they change? When man cannot change you, 12-step program can change you, but if you don't do it, it's not going to change you. And I've met 12-step program people that still haven't come to Christ. You have to come to Jesus. He'll transform you. He'll change your life. Psalm 34, verse 20. They did not break any of Jesus' bones. Listen to the other scripture. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, uh, when they... Uh, the, the, the sacrificial lamb as they were going to leave on Passover. Remember, uh, death came and passed over to those that had the blood uh, on the doorpost. And that lamb 
was not to be broken. They were to eat it, but it was not to be broken. All this is in fulfillment of Christ. And again, another scripture says, and they shall uh, look on him whom they have pierced. I want you to study Zechariah 12 and verse 10. Again, these are just a few of the prophecies that were fulfilled. What we're reading here this evening. And yet there are those that don't believe. Notice now, we come to the conclusion. Uh, the caption of my Bible above verse 38, Jesus uh, buried in Joseph of Arimathea, uh, his tomb, it was a family tomb. Uh, he was considered a rich man, and so this tomb could have easily, I've, the tomb that we've been in when we go to Israel, it's big enough for a family. And, and just like John says, you, you go in, I mean, the scriptures are clear, but there are those that say, well, how do we know? Uh, it's the hill of the skulls right here, and then you have, uh, it's, it's actually uh, this garden area, and they have a tomb there. Uh, it, it, it could easily be Jesus' tomb. We don't know. There's a track on the floor where the stone would have been rolled up and then rolled away. They don't know where that stone's at. You can see the chisel marks. I mean, it's very vivid to me, very moving when you're there. And people ask, do you believe it's Jesus' tomb? I want to believe it's Jesus' tomb. We don't have proof other than it's right there, and then there's the hill of the skull. But it's enough for me uh, to see that there was a tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. And so look at verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear that the Jews would ask, ask Pilate, he asked Pilate that he might be taken away, the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. Pilate's afraid. So he came and he took the body of Jesus. It's believed that Joseph of Arimathea was also uh, a consul member. He was part of the Sanhedrin. And verse 39, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, back in John chapter 3, also came bringing a, a mixture of myrrh and aloes, uh, about a hundred pounds, and again, they would dress the body. And then they would place him in the tomb. Now, Nicodemus is very interesting. That's why I gave him candy so he could behave. <laughs> That's okay. John was told by Jesus, because he said, what must I do to get into the kingdom of God? You must be born again. In John chapter 3, verse 3, John chapter 3, verse 7. I believe Nicodemus became a believer. I believe that Joseph of Arimathea became a believer. Look at verse 40. And they took the body of Jesus. They, they bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in that garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. This is Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, <coughs> verse 42. And so there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day. The tomb was nearby. Pilate is trying to be nice. Yeah, go ahead, take the body down. Maybe the Jews won't be mad at me anymore. And we know from the other Gospels they put guards there. And then they put a seal, a Roman seal, and to break that seal meant death. And we know, we'll see on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, the woman with seven demons. She is the first one. The men are hiding. Why are the men hiding? The disciples, they're not filled with the Spirit yet. They're hiding because, listen, they crucified our Lord and our Savior, Jesus, we're next. They're going to kill us. And by the way, we know that Pilate, excuse me, Peter, we know was crucified just like Jesus, but he chose to be crucified upside down. Interesting. Later, Peter gets the boldness. John gets the boldness. They put John in a boiling vat of oil, and he didn't die. 
because God wasn't finished with it. It wasn't his time. He was sent to the island of Patmos, and he wrote the book of Revelation. John lived to be the longest. I don't know about you, but I'd like to be in a hot, boiling pot of oil and not die. Hey, put some more carrots in here, you know. Now, we celebrate this beautiful time called Good Friday. It's a special time. We're pointing to Sunday morning, which is Resurrection Sunday. Everybody celebrates it at its Easter. Jesus died to give us life, life eternal. You can believe that or you can disagree. You can say, I don't buy it. It's okay. One day. The Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is what was shared to me years ago. Bob, you can bow now unto salvation or you can bow later unto judgment. But every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. We're going to prepare now for the nails on the cross. And I want you to think as we went over the study. And as you drive your nail into the cross, that was the sin that put Jesus there. My sin, your sin. So let's all stand and we'll end with a word of prayer. The worship team will come up. And then after, we're going to go this way. I want you guys to go around and then put the nail and then come back and, and then get your elements and then come back to your chair. And you just follow suit, okay? But let me pray first. Father, as we prepare to place the nails on the cross in remembrance of what Jesus took on the cross, all the sins of mankind, took my sins, took the sins of all these men and women here tonight. And Lord, we want to break bread the communion table. Lord, prepare our hearts. But Lord, before we do this, if there's anybody here this, this evening and you don't know Christ, I'm not asking you because of Calvary Chapel and I'm, I'm not asking you because of Pastor Bob, but you need to come to the cross on your own. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I, I'm going to be honest with you. When you give your life to Jesus, you will know it. And so if that's you this evening, give your life to Christ. Father, bless those that have come now. Prepare us as we partake of the worship. Prepare us as we place the nails uh, on the cross. And prepare us as we get the elements and go back to our, our chair and we get ready to receive communion. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew? <laughs>
say how great, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Oh, we'll sing how great, how great is our God. How great, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Oh, we'll sing how great. about you but as everybody was placing the nails you could hear you could hear the sound and obviously some of you hit it harder and softer or whatever but you could still hear it and again you think when they were pounding the nails into Jesus's hands and his feet and we've all seen the various movies and such and you know Hollywood does a great job of that but what he did for us what he did for us and then to bleed out for us we're going to partake of the communion table in 1st Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 to 26 for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus Christ in the same night in which he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we hold the bread up, we pray. Lord, cleanse our minds and our hearts, Lord. Forgive us of all of our sins, Lord. And Father, I know some that are here tonight that are needing a physical healing. Lord, I ask you to touch them. I ask you to heal them, Lord. I ask you to go before them, Lord. Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. Bless the bread now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's partake together. Let us also hold the cup. Paul continues as he's addressing the church at Corinth. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it. And again, in remembrance of me. We partake of the bread. We partake of the cup. In remembrance what happened at Calvary. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, as we hold the cup, we see the redness uh, in the drink of the cup. And we're reminded of the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, you went to the cross to give us life, life eternal. You emptied yourself at the cross. You said to, you said to Talestai, it is finished. The debt was paid in full. And now, Lord, bless the cup and heal our bodies, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Father, as we thank you for the evening, Lord. What a blessing. What a privilege. What an honor. What a joy. And so, Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to share your word, to bless the people with your word. And, Lord, let us not leave here the same as we came in. Change our hearts, Lord. Give us a heart after your heart. We're looking forward to Sunday morning of the resurrection of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and we all agree by saying amen.